Hello and welcome to this week's Stats One podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. Hey, Ted, that was a routine introduction without you spoiling it, so that's nice. I try to keep it uncertain. <laughs> Just never know how the podcast is going to quite start, apart from the bit that I do. But that's okay, that's fine. It's summer now, we're into our holidays, so to speak. Well, some people are, some Premier League players probably have decided to jet off to their back garden and um, enjoy the sun in this the Premier League times. everybody except for everybody except for Chelsea and Arsenal uh, have fucked off for some holiday except for that whole fact that everybody also in the UEFA competition still have to keep playing through August yeah yeah that's a point yeah I mean that's not that I mean that's really not that long away is it it's like they're going to get like a week so it probably is holiday in the back garden rather than something a little bit more elaborate um, but yeah, yeah. I, I remember during the pandemic, someone was saying, oh, well, you know, the players have already had a break and they've already had some holiday. I'm like, this is not holiday. This is like very high stress, very weird time. <laughs> Do not, not equate yeah. these things. This is not player holiday either, like, you know. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, you can't even go anywhere. Right? And now we're back to not being able to go to Spain, apparently, or something. So. And the things they get up to on their holidays. Oh, my God. Anyway, that's for another. St- we're going to talk about Jack Grealish later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what players do. I can guess, but there we go. Right, yeah, so the Premier League ended, so we're going to wrap around that and then have a quick look at a few transfers um, that are being mooted in the press and such. James, you've forgotten something. What? UBs! There was also apparently a game played in London last night that <laughs> a somewhat known team, Brentford, won, putting themselves in the playoff final, which is fun. Because huh. even allowing for Ted's <laughs> affiliations, uh, it'd be good to see the analytics team in the Premier League, and they're one game away now. So I thought that was Liverpool. It's possible. Well, there there are ever more analytics teams, Ted. Wow. This is the world. This is the way things are changing. So, you know, we know that our long-term listeners will have known this for many a year. But we're going in that direction. There's no there's is, no stopping us. Is it my my son? Brentford scored almost immediately last night. That was an amazing pass from Jensen. And and Brentford actually know to do this. They know to like run whenever they get the opportunity. And uh, you know those those forwards especially know that they can run from deep and expect that they're going to get passes like a surprising amount of time versus a lot of other places. Uh, especially if you're playing facing a higher line. Uh, so yeah, they, they scored immediately, almost immediately. And and my son like had wanted to watch the game and then forgot about it because he was playing Roblox or something like that. And he's like, oh my god, what happened? So like suddenly he's encamped on the couch with me, and we're we're watching the game. And and later in the game, they show, uh, uh, you know, they definitely show Rasmus and then Matthew Benham's on the screen at one point. And he's like, oh, who's that guy? I was like, that's Matthew Benham. He's the owner. You've met him in person like two or three times. <laughs> he's like, really? But it, it it has been a while, to be fair. Like his uh, his seven year old brain may have forgotten these things. So yeah, no, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I, I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think I expected things to point upwards so quickly for them. I mean, you know, they've they've done a really good job of like slotting themselves in the championship and staying there and being completely secure. But uh, you know, actually get to the cusp of the Premier League. Um, that's well, they some, they some were effort. at the cusp like against Barnsley too, right? <laughs> they needed a yeah, single true. goal. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm talking more yeah more more generally, but it's yeah it's it's, oh, okay. it's definitely uh, you know definitely the analytics fairy tale so to speak. Yeah, um, it is like you know this is this is Cinderella's slipper. Uh, you know like we're trying to 
to make sure that it happens. But they really, you know, if you think that this team came into the league in 14-15 in um, and they had done such a good job at recruitment at that point that they made the playoffs in their first season, then they, they basically had to turn over everything. And then that was one of the, the complications that we had when, when I first started because I came in in 2014 and, like, everybody that they had recruited that last year in League One was on a three-year contract. So we were just immediately under pressure. And we had a bunch of guys that were coming into like the last year of their contract, including like many of the good ones. So, you know, Andre Gray's there and and Tarky was there. And and so um yeah, you're you, you had a big challenge in the summer of twenty fifteen and and like you had to to kind of revamp everything. Um also while trying to find a, a new coach that understood all the things that that you know Matthew and wanted to do and then Giles and Rasmus were there and they were kind of a learning experience as well so it, it took them a while to build up enough squad value and to just keep getting depth and that's one of the the sort of most impressive things about this team like we knew that we wanted like a full 22 um, because the the championship season is long and if you have like a critical player go down like you need to have some depth there I I hadn't realized that Rico Henry who was one of the the last crew that we recruited had played like every minute of every match at fullback this year. Like that's an insane thing. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's been there. Like Marcondes might've been one of Matthew's best deals. They got him for absolute peanuts out of Denmark. Um, and he contributed that second goal. It's been really fun to watch. And, and there are a lot of people, like a lot, a lot of people who deserve some, you know, significant amounts of credit for this over the time. In, in a way you're like, you didn't necessarily expect them to to get back you know, get to this height at at this point, but it's been six seasons now, so it's it's just you know cycles, and they've never finished out of the the top half of the the table since they got up there. But it is very much about letting that model churn. You you buy better players, you sell them at the right time for the right price. You go get some more, you do it again. Not every single one hits, but the most of them have have done quite well. It's not unlike the Liverpool model. And this isn't a variance story this season. This this team has been good. Like this team is like the Brentford leads are the two matrix teams in this league in this division. You know the strongest matrix. So you know if they if yeah they, and they go fucking up, rock. They, they they had a poor start, but since that time they they've been stompy. Somebody somebody told me that yeah they choked in the in those last couple of matches. I'm like they had to win eight out of nine in order to get to that spot. So like you're, <laughs> yeah, it's you're, it's always an interesting thing, isn't it, with sports when when you know the the distribution of the results always you know uh, people are quick to leap on the you know if the defeats come after the wins kind of thing. And it's like, look, come on, you know, you could you, if they'd have if they'd have lost the first two of those games. And they never had a chance to even get to that point. Then you wouldn't call it a choke because I guess it's de- technically different. But if you know, it takes it takes some some nerve and whatever to put yourself in the position in the first place. Well, and and Th- Thomas Frank and his his crew like have done an awesome job at really instilling a good defense in this team. That was always like the missing part, and and part of it was also missing like a defensive midfielder that could clean up when everybody was running ahead of them. But Thomas, you know. They play sexy football, but they play very well defensively. Second best defense in the league after after Leeds. And I was talking to, to Chris Galley, who actually uh, was inside Smart Odds, but for a long time, you know, worked uh, at least a little bit of his, his time on the the scouting and transfer stuff. And and Galley has a large knowledge of you know German football and Swiss football, but also you know, has has really been part of the Brentford story. And, and there are a lot of people inside of Matthew's organizations that you know, have quietly been helpful over the years. Galley's an expert. He's he's potentially looking to come into 
into a full-time role in football. If you need this contact information, happy to, to talk to you about it. But Galley was like, you know, I think the most impressive thing that I've seen um, from Thomas is just the, the project that he has done with Josh De Silva. Like Josh was not this footballer when he came to us. He, he, you, know, you could see that there were, there were glimpses. And, and Thomas has really done a great job in, in getting his positioning right, his defensive positioning right. He's got 10 goals from midfield, which is super impressive, uh, and like you know, 3,200 total minutes or something. And then obviously Ollie Watkins. Like two years ago, that someone, someone dug up a tweet, and this happens, um, 2017. I said, in, in a couple seasons, uh, Ollie's going to play in the Premier League. Like He's a little raw right now, but all the tools are like very clearly there. And he didn't start out as a center forward either, at least like at Brentford. He started out wide and he had problems with shot locations, uh, especially under Dean. But now that he's a center forward, he was unreal last night. Like you could not deal with him. And his runs from deep from center forward meant that he could get to full speed. And if the if the midfielders played the ball at the right time, like he would just be on his own uh, in the center of the pit. Uh, pitch with the ball 1v1 with the goalkeeper and he did that a lot this year so yeah i mean it's, it's a hell of a coaching job too it's not just the the model it's about finding the right people to to take hold of like a good squad and then make it excel a little bit further to get them to that spot you know who knows what will happen in the final game fulham have a lot of talent uh we presume that they'll be there you know cardiff is the other team that could be there but nevertheless you know this is pretty special and it's been it's been amazing to watch this year yeah i've just realized we're kind of killing next week's content if they go up but that's fine <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure we can persuade you to talk about brentford once more ted if needs be <laughs> no no this will be the last time and we haven't even <laughs> mentioned the world's best defender ethan pinnock so that's um is it true this is you, you want to tell your pinnock story no, it's fine. I haven't got. I haven't got a good Phoenix story, but oh, I like come him. On. I like him. He's really good. That's my. So James, point. I haven't James got a good a lot, Pinnock story. James spent a lot of time uh, <laughs> reviewing Ethan Pinnock at, at a different club, and and he's just like this guy's great. He needs to play like all the time. And why did he, were you saying these things? He just sniffs out danger. This is why he just he's wherever danger is. That's what he does. The long leg of Ethan Pinnock. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. Anyway, it's not an Ethan Pinnock He he started in non-league football though. Like this is a great story. Yeah, like he yeah. was down at Dulwich Hamlet. Yeah, like, that that that's far. <laughs> that's not like you know near the cusp of the Premier League. You don't often hear about centre backs who do that journey, do you? No, that's true. That's a good point. Um, and I think he's about was he about 27 now? So he's he's still got a good bit of time left. And um. Yeah, it'd be, honestly, it'd be great if he got to the Premier League. I, 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 there are enough t- players in this in this Brentford team. I'd quite like to see how they got got on in the Premier League, and that would be, um, you know, that'd be pretty good. Let's get. We back. prefer to see them do it together as opposed to uh, <laughs> yeah. breaking into pieces. Yeah, that's the thing. Let's let's get to let's get to because this uh, Premier League season has finished now. Um, we can have a look, we can have a quick talk about the relegated sides because um, obviously Bournemouth joined Watford and Norwich. I mean, there's not much to add about Norwich. I don't think they've they've been down for a while. Um, but yeah, but it was it was it was two from three of Bournemouth, Watford, and Villa, and I think everyone had various rooting preferences here. Um, I don't know. It's it's diff, it's difficult. But Bournemouth. I I've, I used to have this. Sorry, Watford. I used to have this uh, little saying myself. You know, if you've had three managers in a season, that's a bad sign. Right. They got to four. So, you know, <laughs> the 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 last one I think was particularly absurd. <laughs> uh, I, I want to circle back to them because if I would have had to pick the two that were likely to go down at the start of the restart, 
we looked at Bournemouth on on this show or on this podcast, and we were like, man, that that schedule is gonna fucking kill them. That is too hard. Like their schedule is very very difficult. You know, they they came within a point. <laughs> they probably did. Um, be- they probably did better than I expected, actually. Insofar as that that you know they did did record a couple of wins through there. You know, I mean, Everton probably checked out for the season for whatever reason. Um, you know. If, Beating Leicester after after being second best to Leicester for you know most of the game and then Leicester having a red card and winning four one you know there's yeah. there's there's two wins there that you probably didn't think they'd get a point against Tottenham as well lost to Man City but that's that's no big deal but played quite well there um, lost to City lost to United like that that schedule in the last six games were United Spurs. Mm. Leicester, City, Southampton, rejuvenated Southampton, yeah, and Everton. Derby, you know, Everton, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. there's you know, um, a lot there, and they did probably you know to get seven points from those six games is fine, but that's good. It just wasn't quite enough because I mean Villa, Villa perked up, didn't they? After the after the restart, I think what were their metrics? So I've got this little after restart metrics thing. Yeah, Villa's Villa's metrics were fairly good. That you know their expected metrics were kind of. Eighth or ninth in after the restart, and obviously the schedule effects here. Um, this this little viz I did, it's on the um, Statsmore account if you want to go and look at it on the Twitter account. But um, yeah, Villa Villa did what they had to do, but were a slightly better team after after the restart. As were Bournemouth. Bournemouth were kind of like mid-table metrics, but the the even even despite the fact they got points, uh, they were skewing miles behind. Um, they're kind of uh, the reality. The goal, the goal reality of being in Bournemouth was was so, tough. So the process was not that bad, even against mm. very difficult competition. But the the goal outcomes were, uh, and and like you know, like I said, they got right to the the edge. The reason I would have chosen Villa as the other team likely to go down there was not for any other reason than they couldn't defend very well, and and for for the entire first period of the season, like they were very loose on defense they had the worst uh, expected goal different or expected goals against in the league by some distance i believe mm. and then suddenly they come back and they they've sort of stitched it up and and they seem like they they actually are capable of defending i don't know if that's short-term variance or not but it certainly it kept them up yeah no it definitely did i mean what we're looking at here i've just got the chart with the defender why can't i see villa on there <laughs> the one team i can't see on this chart is villa Oh, because they're quite good. They're much higher up than I expected. Yeah, like the fifth best defense after, since the since the kind of since the restart um, yeah. in you know expected terms, and you know the goals slightly worse off, but you know w- wasn't too bad. I mean that that's a comment I'd make about Bournemouth. I think um, for for the time in the Premier League, the the the, the kind of vulnerability that Bournemouth always had I thought was that they would concede goals and they it felt like Eddie Howe never kind of managed to develop uh, midfield as well as he could it was always it was always quite re- easy to get through Bournemouth's midfield and create chances so at times you know they got they were on the wrong end of a few beatings and you know took took um you know some quite a lot lot of chances good chances against them but again you know you, they they've kind of yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, they they put up mid-table metrics when they came back, but conceded two goals a game. That's hard to hard to kind of hard to kind of reconcile. Um, Watford yeah. are worth a moment of discussion, um, and the reason why I mean, all these teams were clustered. And they finished with goal differences of minus twenty-six, minus twenty-five, minus twenty-eight. So, like, you know, there was almost nothing to separate 
these three teams, especially uh, throughout almost the entirety of the season. And and the Watford thing, you know, they were what seven points adrift when I think Pearson came in, mm. and and he got them right to the edge, like right to the edge. But somehow, the Pozo family let him loose in the last two two weeks, and. Uh, you know the the rumors behind the scenes and and whatever credit you give to these I don't know like a great deal of uh, grains of salt but the rumors behind the scenes were the players were upset They're like this is a ridiculous way to run a football club mm-hmm. and uh, you know at, at a certain point you're like they might be right <laughs> like you know they're professional football players they expect to at least you know have one or two coaches a season that seems like a normal amount uh, once you get to the fourth there's probably a decent reason that that they're frustrated um, and so yeah I mean. There's always a sense that if you irritate the players too much, they they will just quit. You know, like they'll they'll find ways to to not push to that last little competitive edge, and it doesn't take much. You know, the the Premier League's a tough league, so to I don't be know, fair, they played pretty well against Arsenal when they had to. I mean, they were three yeah. down at that point, and then you got you know got it back to three two, and how oh, Welbeck with a trademark Welbeck back heel that um, uh, Martin has saved. To, to put to make it three three, I, I flipped to that game. Uh, you know, in my kind of like tour around the games on that, that on that day, and it was um, almost immediately. It was like, oh my god, Watford. Martinez, close here. Martinez was out of his mind that day, and has been since he came into the team. We'll talk to we'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, yeah, so like maybe maybe I'm not even right. Like they they did have great process against Arsenal. They they but that was you know mostly after the point that they were you know hugely in a hole. Uh, they gave up that goal in like the fourth minute, right? Because there was a dumb, like a really dumb foul in the box from Craig Dawson where he flattened Lacazette on a ball that Lacazette wasn't going to do anything with. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like it's a those two teams are going down. Um, I, I've heard from other people who who've been around Bournemouth over the years that like they may struggle a bit financially because of you. Know, and and this was in the the athletic as well. You know, some contractual stuff where guys don't have relegation clauses, which is terrifying. And and yeah. The chairman's been quite bullish. I mean, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of read the same story as you, and then um, you know, follow up from that. I think the chairman came out and was a little bit bullish about like, now nah, we'll be all right, kind of thing. So we'll, you know, we'll 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 see. I, I think you know, this is, you get relegated the, for that first season where you try and right the ship. You know, you've got to sell. You've got to sell some players. Obviously, some of them will want to go. Obviously, some of them will just be expensive, and you probably you probably want them to go. You've just got to keep enough players around to uh, to keep things you know to keep things going. But it, it's tough. We've we've seen it. We you know we've seen teams teams like Burnley and Norwich who've who've gone down and then come back up, not really changed things too much. But then you know possibly didn't have to. And then we've seen say a team like Stoke or something, or even West Brom. I mean, they've they've got back up now, but you know, it's, I think it's t- taking them a season longer than they expect they hoped for. This is the thing: the the, the route back to the Premier League is is f- far from certain. Obviously, I I um, think Stoke and Sunderland are like the two teams that everybody has to be afraid when you go down. Like you don't want to turn into that. And Fulham were that team too, right? Like Fulham yeah, nearly if, got themselves relegated. Yeah, if, if Fulham, yeah, if, and if Fulham don't come back up, you know, through the, these playoffs, then that's that's going to be another like, oh, you know expensive season coming up kind of thing to you know and they hope they hope they get up uh, the following year but i mean that's 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 the thing your plan is always to come straight back up but you know damn, it's a that's... tough league to do that in now yeah. and especially if you've got a lot of older players that you know you don't know how healthy they're going to be throughout the course of the season yeah and then you've got teams like leeds and brentford 
who like on paper, you know, on paper ahead of Bielsa's first season, like you no one looked at Leeds and said like, oh right, yeah, of course that's the same team as last season. And Bielsa will, Bielsa will create, you know, like <laughs> an absolute destru- destroying unit of a team out of these players. And Brentford, you can probably look at it and say like, well, they've got to gel. You know, then you're not obviously going to look at those two teams and say like these are the strong teams, but they have been. So. Um, yeah, and two teams that are, you know have haven't been in the Premier League for a long time. You know, you always think you always look at the relegated teams and think like, oh, they they should be well set to come back. And then you've got two teams that, um, uh, you know, in that situation who haven't been anywhere near the Premier League for, for years, if if at all, um, who put up you know kind of league leading metrics. So Le- not Leeds easy. have a big rebuilding project to do. Like that that squad is not. I, it's been great under Bielsa. Um, but that has a lot to do with Bielsa, and and their depth of talent is is not great. Um, yeah, the, the the task next year will be keeping them up, and yeah, they they seem to be making the right moves. Uh, I know that one rumor that was around was Florentino Luis, uh, who <laughs> who who we particularly like for various reasons that I'm yeah. not going to explain. It's but funny; he's, he, he's a bit of a the Jetson guy that went to Tottenham and had a bit of a kind of run like this. He didn't really play. Uh, and Luis hasn't played um, since, well, not really played since kind of like Christmas. But it's always felt like he's he's like he's ready to be transferred, <laughs> right? And uh, so yeah, he he could he could be someone that's he's been linked around the place, and uh, Leeds were one of the teams he was linked with, for sure. And and was it you that said this, or maybe it was Giant? It was Giant Gunner, I think. Uh, so he he's like you know you've got Leno. And you've got Emiliano Martinez, and both of them are, are easily capable first-team goalkeeper starters, which Arsenal haven't really had this problem in ever, <laughs> possibly ever. Maybe back to Seaman and, and Lehman when, when they mm. were around and the transition was happening there, which was a little while ago. <laughs> and and so you've got these two guys, and, and you're like, well, what do you do? And Martinez's shot-stopping has been so good that you're like, he's pretty great. But... Um, John Gunner had had the point that said that you know maybe Martinez goes to Leeds, plays for Bielsa, gets himself on the Austri- or Argentinian national team. Like that's like seems like a really good pathway and a very natural graduation there. I don't know. I don't have an opinion on this. I was just thinking about it and it seemed like it, it made an awful lot of sense. But often things that make sense do not ever happen in football. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. They did sign a keeper as well, didn't they? Leeds um, or made turn the loan permanent. Um, one- Name of the guy escapes me in the moment, right off the bat. Meisler, the sorry, Melier, <laughs> uh, the the young goal, French goalkeeper. All German names sound the same. Twenty-year-old goalkeeper <laughs> going into the Premier League. What do you reckon, Ted? Good idea or not? I have no idea, and it's okay to say you don't know things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. So, what else? What else have we got in the Premier League to to, to chat about? Burnley. Burnley are interesting. I tell you what. I, I tweeted this out the other day because it just it, I looked it up. Burnley are interesting because you tweeted about them. Yes. That's what you're telling this us? is this is why they're interesting. <laughs> but the thing is, they got as many points as they did when they finished seventh and got heralded, you know, widely. You know, they kind of. Exp- exceeded their metrics but they got the same amount of points as he and their expected goals were actually better so this to this no, no maybe i'm just reading the wrong places but i don't feel like burnley have been celebrated and hailed from uh, the rooftops this season yet they've actually had as good potentially better season than the season they did get hailed from the rooftops maybe this is it. it's old news you know they, they had their good season i'm not not interested in burnley being being 
decent again. Um, they're very slightly the, under the par. Magic, um, the magic is gone. <laughs> the metrics are very slightly under par, but it's essentially they're a par team in this league. And like, how far are we away from when you'd look at Burnley's metrics every season? You'd be like, how is this, this team is shipping at 16, 17 shots a game? How are they not in a relegation battle? Every year I used to, I used to be like, this is ridiculous. They can't keep this uh-huh. up. And now they have a dull season that nobody notices. And, I mean, I guess they better hope that Sean Dice wants to carry on. There was a, some rumours around um, whether he was going to or not, and I know nothing about that. So, um, you know, but he's he's done it again, Ted. He's done it again. The warlock. <laughs> Amazing. Has stuff. done things. Yeah, and, and and their style is is you know deep block bunker hairy teams in their in their you know when they enter your half, uh, execute on set pieces and you know get good shots when you can it's it's not super exciting (laughs) but it does seem to be just effective enough i mean that's yeah i mean look look at the teams that have gone down here like i mean watford style i think it's hard to peg because you had four managers whatever but bournemouth very much a team that you know quote unquote tries to play football norwich completely you know that passing side um dean smith's villa try to play football like none of these teams are defence first um, West Ham under Pellegrini that's that's the next team in the league that's, they weren't a team that was defence first they were when Moyes came in <laughs> let's go one up Brighton under, um, under Potter who's done I think exceptionally well and improved their metrics and stuff but they're still down there and you know this is a team that quote unquote tries to play football then you go hang on <laughs> counterpoint the next team is Crystal Palace, and yeah. the next team after that is Newcastle. They're above Neither these of whom teams. Are particularly above concerned these with playing football. So, you know <laughs> that 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 question remains. And there was there was a lot of talk about, um, you know, because everyone's been surprised at Sheffield United, who, you know, we should they lost the last three, but up to that point, had a fantastic season, finishing the top half. Um, but the fact that they came up with, uh, you know, a superior defence to the other teams that came up was was noted around the place. And fourth best defence in the league. And yeah, had an amazing, amazing run of it this season. And you know, just that idea that if if you're one of these teams that p- could potentially be at risk of ending up in a relegation battle, you know, Burnley's Burnley and Bournemouth story is very similar. They've been in the league for a similar amount of time. Um, you know, they they do things very differently. And we're waving goodbye to Bournemouth and Burnley. Are Sconced happily in the centre. I'm not saying this is the only way to do things. Far from it. But at least this season, we've we've seen um, you know the kind of the more I want to use the word agricultural, but that's probably going to be deemed a slur. Boy, <laughs> the more the, the the more mechanistic is that? No, that's not a football term. Workmanlike, perhaps. <laughs> that's not kindly either. Ted. Putting putting in shifts. <laughs> Not saying everyone else isn't putting in shifts, just the style of play, that's the thing. And anyway, like, you know, Steve Roos Steve has managed to plonk Newcastle in the middle by being gritty a bit and and never impressive when you watch them. Really? <laughs> yeah. is, is that is that how we're gonna is that how we're gonna take this? We're well, gonna, the, we're gonna describe no, this, it like that. This is a good point though. You know, the the, the kick kick over metric season to season. Like Palace Palace were a team that um, a lot of people were down on the start of the season because they are too old and they are still too old. But um, they were like, oh, this, this this doesn't scope well. But their metrics last season were fine, mid-table. 
this season they've been lesser. They, their metrics are kind of like I'm not sure exactly off the top of my head, but they're, they're you know kind of like lower mid table metrics, and they're still old. So that's they, there's there's your flag there. Newcastle, if everything stays the same, obviously takeovers uh, at, at hand. Newcastle's metrics are poor. You know these these are the, these are the teams that you look at and you think like right okay, we would generally expect them to have a difficult time next season unless you know vast changes were made um yeah so you're, you're what you're telling me is you're picking newcastle and crystal palace to go down next year <laughs> i'm not yeah i'm oh, just saying oh. <laughs> okay i'm just I'm, you know, maybe i'm getting a little ahead of myself um, <laughs> but, I, I am if steve bruce is <laughs> is is in charge and you know we can assume that their metrics will look in a similar fashion. I would take that gamble for some amount of odds that they would be one of the relegated teams. Uh, Crystal Palace is always the uncertainty. Roy is able to put together, you know, a solid defense even with eleven bales of hay. I think is what I've said before. And you know, that team is getting old. Uh, he may actually need to have some some mummies out on the the pitch at some point. I don't know. Um, I had some thoughts about some of these teams and, and, and some of these thoughts turned out to be wrong on further investigation. Which is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, wow, Southampton have been properly spicy. Like, you know, I, I, I might even pick them for, for a top six spot for next year. Like, I, I believe in Hassan Hoodle. I think he's yeah. done a really good job without um, necessarily great talent on that, on that team. They've been, they've been fine. And, and, you know, they finished on, on 52 points. Uh, minus nine goal differential, but like they've played really well uh, since the restart, and it felt like they were starting to to gel and click. And then we looked at the numbers that James put together, <laughs> and they were they they were what ninth best team or something like that. Yeah, but had had almost a goal butter in in terms of goal. Yeah, they they then. they've 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 had a bit of a kind of charmed run recently. But the thing is, I mean, he kind of like plonked them. Basically, again, like one of these, he's one. They're one of the league, the league average teams in this uh, since you know since he kind of like righted the ship and said like right, we're just gonna do Hassan Hoodle football now, lads. That's what it seemed to be from the outside. I mean, I'm sure you pick it apart. There's more going on, but it did it did feel like I'm after, gonna if after we're going down, one I'm result. going down swinging. Yeah, and I, I quite like that. And they they you know they definitely climbed the table and made themselves very safe and secure. Um, and the metrics are fine, yeah. But I think you you were you were you were excited by this and thought it, it could kick even further upwards. I don't think the metrics quite support that just yet. But um, the transition from being um, lesser to better um, is real enough. And you know the, he's definitely given himself a platform going into next season. You'd say um, it's interesting. Mm, yeah, wolves. Wolves are a funny one. Wolves. Wolves metrics were probably slightly better than their finishing position which I think you could probably say last year as well and they might have even improved a little bit this year um, and kind of like dancing on the edges of the top six you kind of think if they could somehow find more goals from somewhere which might not be akin to their style um, then they could they could you know really kind of like get in amongst the, the top six race but that's that's you know talking about defence at the bottom of the league the, the top of the league is is you know more about attacks to some degree, don't get me wrong. It's not your great defense will probably win you titles, but um, you know, to get in that top six mix, you always notice you know teams like Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United. Even when they're on down years, they still tend to get quite, still tend to score quite a few goals. And I think that's the I, difficult so transition. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of points in here. Like, I, I, Southampton didn't quite pan out. Um, we've got some uncertain teams we're going to talk about in a bit for like lots of different reasons. 
Chelsea gave up 54 goals this year, which is actually six more than Arsenal, which I thought was like really interesting. And, uh, you know, how many of those were set piece goals is also kind of interesting. <laughs> like, you know, it's been an, an ongoing problem for them. But there, there are these other issues that you can kind of peg. Like United's defense was good all year. And we mm. flagged this very early on. Yeah, yeah. And we said that that's going to give them a chance. And, and United have a lot of weird wrinkles going on in, in their data. And, and, you know, one of those wrinkles is something we talked about previously, which is that they're very lopsided in their shot map. They skew really heavily to the left side and very little off of that right. Um, and part of it is, is personnel. You know, Mason Greenwood, I guess, is, is helping to improve that. But, you know, you would say that the right side has not been a strong contributor, while Martial and, and Rashford both have a preference for that, that sort of left inside channel. And they make a lot of hay there, like just so many goals in that spot. United had 14 penalties this year in our data in the league. Like that—that's a lot. Like that's—that's <laughs> that's a lot, a lot. And you know, the year before they also had 12, and the year before that they had three. Ooh, okay. So that's a big difference. United have so many more penalties over the last two seasons. Like this is starting to look like a conspiracy theory, <laughs> at least on the internet. They're like, well. I mean, have they turned into Juventus? Is this is this a viable question here? They've got a lot of dribblers, haven't they? You know that kind of the, the Martial, Rashford, Greenwood as well. Like you know, even even Pogba, Pogba and you know Fernandez. You can you can see well, the, the Fernandez does burst from deep at times, but you can have the the, the type of play that <laughs> generates penalties. Uh, you can see from you know a lot of their attackers. I think. Um, I'm not going to say United had 14 penalties. Liverpool had five. I'm not going to say it's a plan, but like, just that, yeah. Liverpool, you don't associate, you know, the way Liverpool play, you don't associate in the same way as um, as Man United. And Liverpool, I'd say, were more of a passing team. But maybe Salah's probably the one, the one guy that they've got that you can see kind of dancing into the box and generating contact. But you know, you don't think your you, your mind doesn't turn to Firmino and Mane, and you know, obviously the midfielder all sat further back in the pitch there's not like a lot of players in Liverpool, uh, Liverpool that are you know going to going to be pl- making the kind of plays that generate penalties at a high rate I would think I'm riffing here so you know feel free to shoot I, me down <laughs> <laughs> I I think that for some reason United have been very good at falling over at appropriate times and I mean City had 11 penalties and and city you can understand more of it and and if you look at like touches inside of the box the skew is just like astronomical right like united ha- don't have the box in that often they somehow generate penalties all the time like you would say almost at a jamie vardy-esque rate <laughs> uh where, whereas man city have the ball in the box all the time and they still generated fewer penalties than manchester united like i just it's weird and and usually what happens is once these stories kind of pop up the year later you get a big sort of step back and pull back like the gareth bale thing where gareth bale was was briefly labeled as a diver which i didn't actually agree like that dude got hacked all the time and then he continued to get the crap kicked out of him and and had like really obvious penalties that were not only not called as penalties but he was given yellow cards for diving which upon replay you're like there's no possible way yeah yeah. like typically what happens is there's a big step back and and united you know if you take out the the 10 penalty goals united had 56 goals scored like I don't know what's appropriate, but I, I do have questions about their ability to continue to 
you know, be in the top three next year because those metrics are uncertain. But then you look at Chelsea, and Chelsea are giving up a ton of goals. So you're like, well, and they, they're buying a lot, all the attackers, apparently, in the transfer market. Yeah, Man United were very grindy for, and had some bad results kind of midway through the season. And yeah, I think everyone thought that when Fernandes turned up and Pogba got back in the team, and especially since the restart, then, then they looked a different team. I'll just, a quick note on Chelsea. To, Tom Lawrence knows this. Um, uh, uh, works with us. Um uh, they, they, like they conceded more goals this season than any season since I think ninety six, ninety seven, or ninety seven, ninety eight, and oh, that means also more goals conceded this season than the season where they completely crapped the bed after they won the title and Mourinho wow. fired. You know, the, the, basically when they when they ended up running like a basically youth team for the second like the, the last few team last few games of the season. I watched. I, I always remember I watched it when saw a game that season and they played Alexander Pato up front like Loftus Cheek was playing. Matt Miazga played like it was. It was just wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, it was like, um, just hitting was just like right. Let's, let's, like, are, let's get into sure the squad here. <laughs> are you sure you're not remembering like a Reading Matt or something <laughs> no, like where he was on loan? It's gen- like, genuinely P- odd. Yeah. Like Matt Mia- Miazga and Piazon played, and you're like, no, no, that was definitely Reading. That <laughs> yeah, was not. That was not Chelsea. Uh, Kennedy was playing on the left side. Uh, Fabregas was, you know, the one one guy that played that you were like pleased to see kind of thing, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just just a, just a weird game. So like like that, they conceded more goals this season than they conceded in that completely weird season that they had. Um, now this feels like a lead into you daggering me because you still won your bet. <laughs> was, I'm sure you just entered that bet out of some bizarre loyalty to your team. I mean, there was I, I felt it was never in doubt. We can I can hint on this. Like I I said at the start of the season that like the bet was that Chelsea would would exceed Arsenal, and I very much, I very much thought at the start of this season, like um, there was a lot of opinion around that focused on Lampard and saying like whether because because he's kind of exceeded his metrics at Derby about whether he was um, you know a, a manager capable of this level and stuff. Mm. And my my point, the I mean analytics point really was that this team of players um, put up decent metrics uh, in 2018-19. Like it doesn't necessarily matter like who the manager is that this team of players has enough talent within it to perform well now Chelsea's metrics are decent um you know they're they're for from a raw xg perspective <laughs> which isn't the whole story but it's one story they're not that far away from liverpool they're about the same um and do you I, know where they're far away from liverpool yeah <laughs> Everything not geographically. Else. That's not what I'm referring to. Everything else. Points. Goals between conceded. the sticks. <laughs> yeah, well that's true. I mean that's been that's been a bit of a kind of So you you're saying story. raw XG metrics, and I'm looking at that in expected goals against of thirty six and an actual goals against that does not include penalties of fifty two. I mean, yeah. I mean, um, used to, you're yeah. used to talking in the terms of save percentages. I I used to record these numbers, but I don't so much anymore. I'm sure we've got them on the site somewhere, but it's not something I really think about. But I, I did see somewhere someone saying that that, that Kepa's save percentage was in the 50s. It was like 55 percent or something, and it was just like, oh my god, you know, that's awful. If any, if you don't know, our average is about 70 percent, um, and you know, sometimes you get seasons pushing kind of like. I guess ten percent more than that, uh, over and you know above and under. Um, if things are going really well or really badly, but to be like fifty-five percent safe percentage is absolutely comical. And like you say, so we have it at fifty-seven. Right there, you go. That's awful. <laughs> That's horrible. Like, and, and, and and to give you an idea, 
He's at 57. The next closest is Jordan Pickford, who's also been really not good this year, uh, at 66. So there's like a 9% gap there. Now, obviously, not every save is alike, and it helps when your team doesn't give up shots close to you. But the the difference yeah. between uh, Kepa at 57% and number one in the league, who happens to be Hugo Lloris, who also had a, another, another very he's, strong season. He's been quietly very good for a good while now. Yeah, anyway. I, I just I thought that was you know, very interesting. I, and you, the model says that, that Kepa also had the, the toughest shots to deal with over the course of the year. So that actually balances out a little bit. But even so, like that, you, you expect, given the fee and the, the position in the league and all of the above, uh, he would be better than that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, let's see. Who else did we want to talk about? Yeah, so I don't know what to think about United. Um I, I think we also have to have like some really serious conversations about Liverpool and metrics, okay? And I, I, people, people love models. You're listening to the show because you probably actually enjoy <laughs> listening to people talk about statistically inclined football. Um, this is a team that finished with 97 points last year, and it's a team that finished with 99 points this year. And the models, the expected goals models, suggest that they shouldn't be anywhere near that. And there's a certain point at which the model disagrees with reality so much that you start to question whether the model is accurately capturing all of the things that they do. And we've talked about on the show a number of times, they might not. And Liverpool might have some special wrinkles. Uh, my question to you is, given that it's two years in a row, this team finished with 97 and 99 points, which I believe makes them the fourth and second best teams ever in the Premier League. Do you think that there's something special going on and we should acknowledge that? Yeah, I mean, like, the, this this whole thing is boiled up. I, I've you know, kind of been following this, uh, gnashing my teeth quietly from, from the distance in the main, um, about hey, Liverpool fans quite rightly want to proclaim their team, and they, so they should. Manchester City's expected goal metrics are better than Liverpool's. <laughs> this doesn't quite jive, but something people have noticed that when when um, when Man City are ahead, like two goals ahead, so basically the game is won. They absolutely crush it, just like lather on the you know the goals and the chances and such. And Liverpool yeah. don't. And I very much feel like Liverpool learnt this lesson. Uh, that some point between last season and this season, Liverpool decided. If we get to a stage where we're two nil up, we're a quality side. We're not going to concede many goals, and they didn't. And we can just manage manage the game to the end of the game. And you know, it's a long season. We, we want to be competing in multiple competitions. Our squad isn't that deep when it comes to you know swapping out our stars. So let's let's manage game situations. I always remember that Jan that one January. I think it was Klopp's second season where they couldn't couldn't buy a win. They won one in eight in all competitions or something. It looked woeful, and it really cost them that season. And they just, he'd, he'd played the same team all through December. You know, tough December. And you just feel like every every single season, this Liverpool has, has like this Liverpool side has learnt something. And I think this season um, they learnt to manage uh, their game states better than they had done before. So, and I mean, this is the thing when it comes to metrics. Like, you know, you you only have to have super, like superior metrics. Like, if you've got kind of like top three metrics, if you're recording, you know, if you're taking fifteen shots and conceding ten, that probably and you know they're good shots and you're not conceding 
good shots kind of thing. That puts you in the mix. I think sit, you, Man, you're going to be around top six there. Like, yeah, Man, yeah, Man City, I think, are 19 shots to concede seven, right? But then a lot of this is going on when, when games are won and such. So, like, you people people, people just kind of missed the point a little bit that, like, you just need strong metri- strong metrics, you know, that you're taking most of the shots and you're not giving up many and they're good shots and you're not giving up bad shots, yada, yada, yada. And then you'll be in the mix. And from that point, you know, there's obviously variation around finishing that you you know you cannot necessarily control. And Liverpool definitely had a huge skew in the autumn where they were scoring for fun early. Like and Leicester had that in their the season where they won the title and you know, you're wondering how are they these teams winning as many games as they did. Um but like yeah, the difference between that and what they actually did is is you know, if if you could say like luck kind of grounded down a little bit, then this this Liverpool team would probably still win this league and quite handsomely they'd probably still be you know like I don't know mid 80s you know mid to high 80s points team I guess I'd say and so in in American sports usually we have this thing called garbage time and and you actually sort of filter out garbage time for most of your your sort of meaningful metrics and it it might be that you have to do that with City because they they often end up putting teams in garbage time pretty early and then they win five six seven nil which you know, it, it, it itself deserves some credit because like that's true dominance but if Liverpool don't care about garbage time if they're two nil like that's great and and I think the 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 Allison factor is really big right the the, the swing between Allison and um, and Kepa is something like twenty goals. <laughs> like that's that that's a lot over the course of a, you know a, a two year period or whatever. And that's, even even really, with really City, City, the chances. I mean, funny enough, on quietly the chances Liverpool uh, were giving up, like it got got um, better. I well, stroke worse as as time has gone on. Um, they probably weren't as good fundamentally this season as they were last season. Um, but it took Man City get you know going on a most insane run to to keep them out last season. Um, but yeah, City, City City gave up quite high quality chances this season. You know that that problem has recurred at, at times during Pep's run. At times they've been you know truly dominant and looking invincible, and other times they've been vulnerable. And they've been very vulnerable at times this season. Um, so yeah, I mean they, this it, it's all it's all part of the rich tapestry, and it, it remains ever fascinating. But you know next season is teed up so nicely just to just to see how it all pans out because you know by any expectation you'd expect Liverpool to get a lot of points you know they've like you say two seasons of this like two seasons of metrics that probably project to kind of like mid to high 80s and then they've gone out and got 97 98 points kind of thing so you know I think I think that this is best termed as a great boxing rivalry now Right, you had the first fight where, like, you know, it felt like there was an undefeated fighter and and a scrappy up and comer, and took them right to the wire. And in fact, like, you know, no one was knocked out there, uh, and and it went to the judges' cards, and City won by a single point. Right, and it, it was like the most awesome thing that that we have seen in recent times in terms of like competitive Premier League. And then the second battle comes in, and Liverpool come in lean and fit and angry. They lost their first fight, and now they they basically had a knockout this time around. Like they they knocked him out early. They kept him kept him on the floor, and now it's it's the it's the rubber match. It's the third one that's next season, 
and we're looking to see what happens. Yeah, and and it, it's it's been a great series, and and this is the way that I'm looking at it going into into next next season. We should get like you know a, a slick fight poster, you know, and, and actually the Premier League should should definitely do all of their promos like this, right? You know, it, it, you you run into Sky, and then you've got everything in fight posters, and like this is the third fight for them. You know, this decides it all. Now it doesn't because they'll be back in. The season afterwards but I, I like this concept because it's it feels valid and and pep you know he's struggled and and i guess to some extent they only really care about the champions league but that's not true like that, that you can say that and maybe the ownership only cares about that but but pep's been put on the on the mat twice in his like four premier league seasons right and yeah, yeah. It, we'll see what happens next year yeah no it's it's it is te- teed up to be to be fascinating, and I mean, it's still just to just to upset everyone. Like, have Liverpool peaked? That's a question. That's a question in my mind. Like, it seems crazy to say that, but I, I wonder. I wonder. You know, will we see? Will we see? Um, you know, 90, 90 points again. Will we see ninety five points again from this Liverpool side, or will they just drift downwards a little bit? And you know, turn this, turn the race into a, you know, something a little bit uh, closer. And City, you never know because I don't know. I mean, City under Pep, you always presume that they've, you know, they will put up amazing metrics and you know get a lot of points. But how when they transition after that, which could well be the season after, you know, that's going to be interesting too. And then obviously Chelsea spending money left, right, and centre, and Man United's project is kind of like slowly coming together there's still a way to go but it's pointing in the right direction I have two questions for you that I think are, are going to be very interesting to follow this summer go on where do Leicester and Spurs finish <laughs> next year oh god Spurs metrics are just they're just not what you want them to be as a Spurs no player. no no Mourinho has taken them put them on his back they've had an amazing run and and Jose has, has recovered this team I can't. I honestly can't tell you because I, I was looking at Jose's metrics at, at various points. Have been excellent. They've been really good. Uh, like uh, when he was at Man United to start with, the metrics were really good. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were talking about it at Spurs. I was no, like, oh, this is an interesting take. No, I'm these, not expecting well, the, this one. The first, the first <laughs> couple of months at Spurs, they, they looked like he fixed the defense, and then they and then they had a run of two or three months where it was like, actually, no, they haven't. It's the, it's the opposite. The defense is shot, and. You know the, the results have been good since the restart, but the p- performances haven't been. But then it, uh, some of it's stylistic. But like this isn't the way to to point upwards. Like it really isn't. Like you can't just bunker and break and and expect to be a, a dominant football team. I'm I'm pretty sure that's it's just not. You know it might get you to the edges of the top six, but I can't see where it gets you to the top four. But then you remember the Man United season when De Gea had a wonderful time and they finished second. So. Does Mourinho Mourinhoisms work? I don't know. I mean, I oh yeah, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I wish I could. Leicester, Leicester, interesting because they had the classic season of season of two halves where they ballooned over their metrics for the first half of the season, and they were quite good metrics as well. But it kind of lifted them nice and high, and then they were their results were generally kind of mid table throughout the all of 2020, and their metrics mm. you know kind of declined a little bit. So that's perhaps more like where their true talent level is at the moment but they had a better expected goal difference than united yeah exactly that's that, t- that <laughs> like that's pretty interesting right yeah, that- and, and better than better than wolves and 
the things that had to happen for Leicester to not qualify for the Champions League yeah. is kind of incredible, right? Because like you go into the break and they've got this huge cushion, and even if you don't believe their metrics are are particularly amazing, you got to give them credit at some point, right? You've you've gone something like twenty nine matches into this, and and you're in third place by a decent amount. And that run in, like they had problems, they had injuries as well from most of their best players, like struggled to to make it across the line. And then obviously, as they went into the break, you know, City were banned. <laughs> and so you're like, if City had remained banned, they would have been in the Champions League. But, but that at, also got again, overturned. like look at the, look at their look at their metrics since since like as a whole, their results in 2020 quite mediocre, um, and their metrics weren't great like before the break but after the break the metrics were fine they just you know it looked like the finishing was deserting them and that was the problem so process versus outcome there might be more yeah they might the things might not be as um you know as as bad as they perhaps seem uh, from some regard ted we should talk about transfers we were going to but we're like miles in and um, we didn't get to them so people uh, want that okay lightning quick, round quick fire transfers <laughs> okay uh david silva's going to enter miami they were, right. Is he or there was talk of um, the, has that been announced? The yet? Middle East. Uh, I heard this morning. So I, I, yeah, my my suspicion is he'll go to Inter Miami, but via way of somewhere else, unless the MLS season actually starts up. Um, they're signing Falcao. I also heard was a rumor. That's kind of fun. That, yeah, that was that was really interesting. Like that somebody posted a kit with Falcao on it, Inter Miami. Uh, so we, we mentioned Inter Miami just so we can mention David Beckham, who James kind of loves. <laughs> really? <laughs> J- um, J- James will argue that Beckham was underrated hugely and and very no. I mean, he's a he's a weird one because he was he he did actually get kind of his image seemed to exceed his his play at the time. He had his he had his moments and, and such, and he did get you know put forward for occasional awards and such. And then you look back at actually like trying to kind of look at a kind of numbers version of David Beckham and you're like actually we'd, we'd have loved him in this era because he created so much like kind of De Bruyne like yeah. not quite De Bruyne like but you know huge volumes of assists and such and yeah like it was a crossing era and we're not in a crossing era now maybe but boy could that lad put the, put the ball on a sixpence so you know he really he really did have a uh, you know made the absolute most of the talent that he had and had an insane and work pieces. rate as well yeah exactly and you know like uh, the things i could have done with david or sorry not david uh, david beckham and set pieces anyway um yeah so let's see anything good here uh chill well you wanted blah. to talk about yeah you don't want to talk yeah. about him Okay. Uh, getting shopped. I'm getting there. I'm scrolling down. I'm scrolling down. <laughs> uh, Dean Henderson, nobody knows what's going to happen. He's really good. Chelsea need a new keeper. People are putting things together. Yeah. Uh, ben Chilwell and Chelsea. Okay, so I really like Chilwell. We, see, there, there are two guys that are Brentford stories of like guys that we loved. Chilwell, we couldn't get a hold of at all. And and like Brentford, especially a few years ago, loaning anybody. Like We did need to loan a bit because we didn't have enough uh, sort of budget to be able to sign all the guys that we needed to sign while while still filling the holes of making competitive team and so Chilwell was was a guy we looked at especially like Rico has been excellent um but you're like Chilwell looks special like legit special and and he has been like he's he's one of the the better players that Leicester brought through in recent years uh Chelsea need you know apparently some fullbacks I I mean at some point I think Chelsea should sign people that play on the defensive side of the ball uh that's just me though 
<laughs> a Teglifico's agent also out there shopping him, which he did last year. Teglifico was allegedly coming to Arsenal. The only people coming to Arsenal are guys that apparently represented by Kia. Uh, <laughs> really? That's an interesting way of looking at things, isn't it? No, no, I joke. I I've, joke. Been re- I've been reading The Athletic. David Ornstein has been writing on Arsenal, and all is well in the world, apparently. I am cautiously, <laughs> I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic because I think they actually did a good job last year of bringing in some pretty good talent, not necessarily prices that I thought were good. Uh, and and if they keep Ceballos for another year, like I'm, I'm actually fairly happy, right? Like this might be one of those things where the Ceballos consistent loans are just a way of working around budgetary yeah, that, constraints. Well, you, you've, you've you know said a couple of times on it, you know about Ceballos, and I think that, that yeah, that that's definitely a. I don't know. Is it the first thing you get sorted this summer? Maybe because, like you know, s- suddenly having to go and replace him. Uh, which he's a good building block, right? Yeah, like yeah, if, he's, if he's decent, so if he's happy, he's, he's <laughs> peak age. Jesus, like let's let's have some guys that you know are twenty four to twenty six. That <laughs> yeah. that sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, what else have we got on our list? J- James predicted a transfer like eighteen months ago that I think is I? was was rumored this week, <laughs> which is. Uh, uh, QPR's Ryan Manning to West Ham. I, no, it's not that long. But like, it's it's, it's, it's someone we we looked we looked at, and um, he's a good player. So it's, it's interesting because um, we liked, I liked, <laughs> we liked, I liked a lot <laughs> Jared Bowen, and he went to West Ham. Uh, so maybe Moyes has got you know I've got just a kind of brain kinship thing going on with Moyes and transfers. Wait a second, are you secretly running West Ham transfers <laughs> and didn't tell me? Oh, yeah, that would be hilarious. I'm calling bullshit. Und- I'm not happy. Undermine, undermine our business by slyly running West Ham's transfers. <laughs> totally believable. This and 5G. All right, that wraps us up for this week. Thank you very much for listening. And while James is chuckling, I'm going to say goodbye. Goodbye, Farewell. everybody. <laughs> uh. <laughs>